And first of all, we're reading Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praise to our God and how pleasant and fitting to praise him. The Lord builds up Jerusalem and gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the numbers of the stars and calls each of them by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain and makes grass grow on the hills. He provides food for the cattle and the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Extol the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for his strength bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. He grants peace to your borders and satisfies you with the finest of wheat. He sends his commands to the earth and his words run swiftly. He spreads snow like wool and scatters the frost like ashes. He hurls down his hail like pebbles. Who can withstand this icy blast? He sends his word and melts them. He stirs up his breezes and the waters flow. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. Praise the Lord. Now we're moving across to uh, Matthew. Now this is a really good passage for a ex-corporate banker with um, bad eyes and who stores up lots of treasures and I was thinking about this passage as it all nearly burnt down in the fire a couple of years ago. So this is Matthew, this is page 1180, Matthew chapter um, 6 verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp to the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he, will just, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, worry by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labour or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the fields, which are here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, he will not much more clothe you, O you of little faith." So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows 
that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measures you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw pearls to pigs. If you do, they might trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will be given a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will be given a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything... Do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Last week, we saw that doing things to be seen and praised by people rather than to be seen and praised by God is a serious danger to our relationship with Him. Jesus warned us to be devoted to God and not to the opinions of other people. This week, Jesus shows us another threat to our relationship with God what we saw last week. This week Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin don't destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus says we can't serve God and be materialists. Possessions and money They're a threat to our relationship with God because they capture our hearts. The idea is that our our heart, our devotion, what we desire will line up with wherever we store up our treasure. Store up treasure on earth and we're in serious danger of, of transferring our devotion from God to stuff. The solution to insincerity last week was what? That's right, secrecy, well done. You got it. (laughs) The solution Jesus gives us this week is investment. Have a look at verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. When we store up treasure in heaven, our devotion to God is safe because we long for His kingdom to come rather than our own kingdoms here. But not only is our devotion safe, Jesus says, so is our treasure. It can't be stolen, it can't break, and it won't fail to satisfy us, which is unlike earthly treasures. Let me show you an earthly treasure, an iPhone. It's like $1,200 or something like that. But how easy is it for this treasure to be stolen? So easy. How easy is it for it to be broken? I mean, is there any iPhone apart from this one that doesn't have a broken screen here today? It's so common. 
And then after a couple of years, even if this kind of treasure hasn't been stolen or broken or stopped working, we kind of wish it would because it no longer satisfies us and we're thinking that we'd like to move up to the the next model, the iPhone 7S. It's a fleeting, stupid treasure, isn't it? An iPhone. But actually all earthly treasures are kind of like it, more like it than we might realise. But when our treasure is in heaven... We can't be disappointed. It's, it's better and, and even more certain than we could even imagine. Our treasure is that we'll live with God in a perfected world with perfect health, perfect relationships and perfect happiness forever. Jesus illustrates his point for us in verse 22. Have a look with me. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? The illustration makes sense. You have a good eye and and you see well. You have a bad eye and you see nothing. But how that illustrates Jesus' point, it's not so clear, is it? Or at least not to me. The illustration hinges on what the eye corresponds to. In verse 22, the healthy eye is literally the single eye, which sounds weird, but it has the idea of being motivated by a single purpose, not having mixed motives. So, in other words, the healthy eye is the sincere eye. And the unhealthy eye of verse 23 is literally the evil eye. Now, this helps us understand the illustration. The eye corresponds to our devotion, our desires. If our devotion is single for God, if our desire is sincere and not evil, not for money, we'll have light within. Our lives will be guided and our steps will be sure. I've got a, um, a great bike at home. It's a bit of a picture of it up there. It's a 1970 Malvern Star. It's incredibly fashionable. It's probably the best bike you could ever own, except for one negative feature, which is that it's nearly impossible to ride. Its biggest problem, actually, is that it can't stop very easily, anyway. One time I was riding it down the street and um, flying along, enjoying it, looking incredibly stylish. It's coming towards a bend with a busy intersection up ahead, when a bug hit me in the eye. The thing about when a bug hits you in one eye is that you can't keep either eye open. Suddenly, I, had, I was plunged into darkness, worrying about how I would stop, worrying about the gutter, the road, the other cars, the intersection, and my dignity, most of all. I slammed on the brake, and by some miracle, five minutes later, the bike and I, not skidded, but came to a stop. It's funny, with your eyes just how you take them for granted while you've got them. But when something happens, you know, something silly like a bug or other people can tell stories that are much more serious and and much more scary, where something happens to your retina and suddenly you're plunged into chaos. Jesus' illustration here says to us as sons and daughters of God, if your devotion lets you down, your devotion to God lets you down, your life is plunged into chaos. If we're actually living for stuff 
and not for God. And Jesus says, we're plunged into darkness and we're in a very dangerous place. Storing up treasure on earth is a serious threat to our relationship with God. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We've all got to choose. Who's it going to be? God or money? And actually, it's, it's, it's much bigger than money. The words mammon, which means money, wealth, property, provision, food even. I reckon the dangerous thing about devotion to money is that it's incredibly hard to see in yourself. People um, will recognise all sorts of sins in their lives, like drunkenness or sexual immorality. But greed is actually incredibly hard to see in yourself. I reckon pride is also like that. In fact, in, in all my years of being a minister, no one's ever admitted to me that they, that they struggle with greed. Or if they sort of have admitted it in a, in a kind of um, sort of way, they, they haven't really seen it as a problem as they've admitted it. But I know that, that Christians from developing countries, when they walk in here, they're actually astounded at our blindness. They're not simply astonished at how rich we are, but they're astonished at how captivated we are with acquiring wealth and possessions, how dominated we are by those possessions and and how devoted we are to maintaining and expanding our lifestyle, as if our life consisted of what we own, what we drive, what we eat, what we wear. Jesus says crystal clear, no one can be a slave to God and possessions. But it's not what we hear, generally. The amazing thing about us humans is, is we don't really hear it with the same clarity that Jesus gives it. We hear things like, there are greedy people out there who try to serve God and money, but me, I'm just average, so I'm not greedy. Or we hear, most people can't serve God and money, but I'm not like most people. I think I can pull it off. What we struggle to hear is, Stephen, you can't be a slave to God and be devoted to money. Now, I want to give us some questions that we can ask ourselves that might help open our eyes and diagnose if our devotion to God could be under threat. This is our first one. Why did you choose your career? Why did you choose your course? Was the money that it would gets you um, a large part of the decision. seems to me that there's sort of three motivations, mostly in, in how we choose work. One's money, one's prestige, and then probably more common these days is, is self-fulfillment. Any of those can be an idol, but today we're asking, is, is money uh, an idol for us? Here's another question that can help diagnose. How important is fashion to you? How much does your style define you or, or how important are your possessions? Or another question, where do your thoughts and, and dreams naturally go? You know, do you dream of the high income job, dream of the house, dream of the holiday, dream of the next purchase? Or here's another question that can help. When you're feeling down, does buying something new make you feel better for a while? You know, comfort you, clothes or a computer 
or a video game, or even food. And another question, where do you currently spend your money? Are you growing God's kingdom or your kingdom? Do you give a a regular budgeted amount to the poor? Like, do you sponsor a child? Do you actually give money to gospel work? Regular budgeted amount to church and, and to missionaries? And another question, do you hate the possibility that you could be devoted to money over God? Does the very possibility of that fill you with despair? Hopefully it does, and I imagine it does for many of us. It's, but the reality is it, it's so easy to become over-invested here, to be entrenched in our own little kingdoms. And before we know it, most of our thoughts, most of the time, can be about making the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time. When for sons and daughters, most of our thoughts should be on God and His kingdom. How are you going in killing your devotion to materialism. Jesus says the solution is investment. Store up treasure in heaven. Desire heaven. Prize it. Live for it. Define yourself by it. Dream and and take comfort in it. Invest in it. I remember someone once said to me something I found incredibly challenging and still do. He said, if your own earthly kingdoms are not being hurt by your investment in God's kingdom, then you're in serious danger of being a materialist. If my own kingdom's not being hurt by my devotion to God's kingdom, then I'm in danger. Where does your devotion lie? Is it single or is it divided? The next thing that Jesus goes on to say to us is that we can't serve God and be anxious about tomorrow. A choice for God is a choice to drop anxiety. Have a look at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you, can wear, what you will wear. Jesus gives us three reasons why we can drop anxiety. The first reason is that we're not living for food and clothes anyway, so why be anxious about these things? Verse 25, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothes? The second reason that we can drop anxiety is because it doesn't get us very far. Look at verse 27, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The third reason we can drop anxiety is because God provides what we need. And Jesus actually points out three things about God's provision. God provides for all His creation and we're more valuable to Him than anything else. Have a look at verse 26. He says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Yes. Yes. Jesus um, goes on to say next that God provides for everything in His creation with excess. So verse 28, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? And the third thing that Jesus tells us about God's provision is that God already knows what we need. Verse 31. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. A a choice for God is a choice to, to drop worry and anxiety. And it's a choice to seek God's kingdom above all things. In verse 33, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things they'll be given to you as well. The choice is either in this life we can seek out our own well-being or we can seek first God's kingdom and He'll seek out our well-being. Once you know what God's like, it, it doesn't make sense to not trust our lives to Him. When you know God as, as Father, worry and anxiety, it evaporates. Now, Jesus is not talking about medical anxiety here. Many of us know what that's like. Um, It takes much more than simply being told, don't worry, don't be anxious if you have medical anxiety or depression. Because in the end, it's not actually rational, that kind of thing. It usually takes a, a medical intervention. And praise God for doctors and for medicine. But to those with medical anxiety and everyday anxiety alike, these verses say to both that when we know God as our Father, all anxiety is irrational. Not just medical anxiety, all worry is an unnecessary burden that that we don't have to bear. It's comforting, isn't it? When you get a clear picture of who God is, you see absolutely that you can hand over any worry to Him and he's got it under control. Nestled in this bit about God's provision is Matthew 7 verse 1. Jesus says, Don't judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus says we can't serve God and judge others. Again, this is an issue of sincerity. What's the measure that you want God to use with you? A merciless, unbending code or grace, mercy and generosity? That's the measure I want because unless God uses mercy and grace with me, there's just no way that I can stand before Him. If that's how we want God to relate to us, then that's how we've got to relate to others. It's insincere, it's hypocritical to call on God to forgive our debts while we happily get on with being unforgiving, unbending and without compassion. If that's how we are with others, then that's how God will be with us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. By judging others, we blind ourselves to our own evil 
and to the grace which others are just as entitled to as we are. If we truly claim God's grace, we receive it. And if we've received His grace, we value it. And if we value God's grace, then we show it to others. And if we don't show grace, then maybe we're showing that we don't actually know that grace. Uh, We might be showing that we are actually not children of God in the end. Now, this verse gets quoted, misquoted all the time, so I actually need to say a little bit more about it. From time to time, you hear people say things like, you Christians are so judgmental. Doesn't Jesus say, judge not lest ye be judged? People like to use that kind of um, thinking as a way of, of silencing Christians, of, um, of getting rid of scrutiny and, and sometimes to make sin acceptable. Because how can we say drunkenness is wrong? or sex outside of marriage, or anything in this world is wrong without being judgmental. I mean, by this logic, you can't say murder is wrong. You can't even say pedophilia is wrong. But the attitude, the kind of attitude that Jesus is calling for in believers, it's not so weak and and pathetic as closing our eyes and mouths to the evil in the world around us. The person who's judgmental is not the person who says, that is wrong. The person who is judgmental is the one who says, that is wrong and I would never do that. That's what it means to be judgmental. The person who stands aloof and and above sinners, who sees themselves as incapable of, of ever being guilty of that kind of sin, and then who treats people differently because of their sin. See, it's right for us to label sin for what it is, but it's wrong for us to judge motive. And it's, it's wrong for us to compare ourselves to other people. And it's absolutely wrong for us to treat people badly because they might stumble. Do you notice that Jesus is particularly talking about how we treat brothers and sisters? How can you say to your brother? He's explaining what it looks like to be a son or a daughter of God and he's saying what it doesn't look like is us worrying about how everyone else is going. Our job's not to put people in their place. Our job is is to cast out the sin in our own lives, to remove the log from our own eyes and to judge our own motives. And that doesn't mean we don't call a spade a spade, but it does mean we always offer love and grace. But what's with the dogs and the pigs here? Have a look at verse 6. Don't give dogs what's sacred. Don't throw your pigs, your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Over the years, this verse has been interpreted all sorts of different ways. Some people think it means that non-Christians shouldn't be given communion. Some people think it means don't share the gospel with people if they just don't want to listen. Others have, have thought maybe it means don't be so generous in not judging people that you're, you're naive. I don't think any of these answers fully explain it. The real question here is, is what does the sacred thing, or the pearls, what, what do they correspond to? Is it communion, is it the gospel, or is it Jesus' teachings, or something else? I think the pearls that we would cast in the mud are actually the teachings of Jesus. But more specifically, I think they're the teachings of Jesus that He's just been giving. 
The pearls are the explanation of, of what it looks like to be a child of God. In the end, you don't give pearls to a pig because for them, they look no different to rocks. They, they don't get the value of them. Or you don't give sacred meat to a dog because, you know, for a dog, a scotch fillet is no different to roadkill. that just can't appreciate its value. And you don't tell someone who's not a child of God to act like a child of God. Think about what Jesus has been teaching us. What's the point of telling them to use secrecy to guard sincerity when they don't even have a relationship with God to begin with? There's no relationship to be sincere about. The very fact of of telling someone to use secrecy to guard sincerity is insincere. That would be hypocritical. What's the point in telling them to be light in the world when they haven't been set alight by God? What's the point of telling them not to judge or they'll be judged when they stand facing the judgment of God either way? The greatest need of us all, it's not to live like good little Christians. Our greatest need is to know God as our Father. And that doesn't happen through anything we do. It only happens through what Christ has done for us, dying in our place on the cross. Instead of telling people to act like children of God, we should tell them that Jesus takes sinners like you and me and He makes us sons and daughters of God. In other words, we preach the gospel. Anything else is just moralizing and and is useless to them. And it's like casting pearls before a pig. They can't be appreciated. If you're not a Christian here, please don't hear me saying that you should live to a certain standard and then God will be happy with you. The whole idea that, that God kind of balances our good against our bad is completely wrong. Our bad is guaranteed to outweigh our good. And even if our our good could outweigh our bad, God wants relationship. He doesn't want rule keepers. And nothing that we can do in the end can actually create relationship. Only Jesus can do that. Only His death in our place. Only His forgiveness creates relationship with God. We're made a child of God by coming to Jesus, we can't make ourselves into children of God. Have you ever tied up a hammock on a tree when you're camping or something like that and you sort of reach that point where you're looking at it and you're not sure that you're ready to commit and throw yourself in? Or is it just me? (laughs) It looks relaxing but you you haven't reached the point where you're ready just to dive in and um, risk it all. Well, at some point, you just got to, if you're going to get the relaxation of a hammock. And it's kind of the same with God, actually. We've been talking about what it looks like to be sons and daughters of God. But it's not until you throw your weight in. It's not until you give God all of your devotion. Undivided. Until you commit yourself to Jesus completely. It's not till then that you can actually experience what it means and what it is like to be a son or a daughter of God. You can't just dabble on the side. Perhaps you're ready to do that, like so many of us have done that here before, to tie yourself into Jesus and and throw your weight in completely 
do it today. Why not? Jesus tells us when God is your Father, you place your life in the hands of one who will never, ever, ever let you down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please keep bringing a clear picture of who you are before us so that we can know that when we can call you Father, there just is no need for worry and anxiety. Lord, there are so many things in this life that that make us anxious, that worry us. And yet there's not one that is outside of your control. Not one that you let us face that is not good for us in the long run. Lord, we don't understand, but we do know and we ask you to help us to see more and more that you are the all-powerful, all-loving Father. Lord, you've shown it so clearly in Jesus, who not only teaches us here and shapes our lives here as sons and daughters, but goes to the cross to make us sons and daughters. Father, help us to cast all our worry upon you, to follow you with sincere devotion, undivided. Lord, not to judge others, but to live for you and to judge our own motives as we seek to align our lives with your will. Help us, we ask, in Jesus' name. Amen.